Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to the Daily Drop-In where we are live every single morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. We have a ton in store. You guys know that Wednesdays are one of my favorite days because we not only have a good news story, we not only have good holidays, we not only have good discussion, we'll also end our show with some good recommendations for you to continue your exploration this week. So we have a lot in store. If you've joined us Monday and Tuesday, you know that we have a weekly theme of discussing how to brand yourself. What's your story? So we're going to get into all that as well. We have an incredible guest with us. So please go fill up your coffee, finish brushing your teeth, make sure to share the feed if you're watching here on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch live. And we'll be right back. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you to those of you starting off our good mornings in the comments. It's so good to see you bright and early. John Miller is here with us. John, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Wednesday is a great day. Middle of the middle of the week, up, down, all around. Yeah, we're good. I love it. Yeah, no, it was wonderful to, for you to be able to join us. It's Wednesday, October 20th. And I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert, friends, you're going to have the best day ever and you just don't even know it yet. So it's going to be a great Wednesday. I can't wait. We also, John, before I forget, because our Teach Better family always holds me accountable. And while I'm very, very, very excited to chat with you, I'm worried I'm going to get so excited. We're going to get into some great dialogue and stories. I'm going to forget. So before I get in trouble, I'm going to remind our network this morning, Wednesday, October 20th, there's a new course out in the Teach Better Academy all focused on parent-teacher conferencing. You should definitely go check it out. And this is me checking the box that I mentioned it on the show. So win-win here, friends. Good morning, good morning. Um, John, for people who may not be familiar with the work you're doing, I mean, we've been connected for a while, but this is kind of one of the most official ways we've gotten to chat recently. Um, yeah. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the work you do um, and who you are? Yeah, so... Um... I grew up in New Jersey um, and um, joined the Teach for America program literally the first year of the program. So I'm one of the original core members, uh, 1990. Other people will say they're original because they were in one of the subsequent uh, regions. And, and I'm not taking any, I'm not throwing any shade. I just need to say that 1990 was the original core. There were 500 of us. Um, there was one person in the regional office in Los Angeles where I was placed with 200 teachers. They figured out that they need a little bit more of a support network um, or a lot more of a support network to really make sure that those teachers are doing the best they can. Um, but that was my start. And, uh, and then I actually was a recruiter for them. Um, and I, so I, I left the classroom after a couple of years, but I sort of always knew that I would be back. Um, and I haven't left schools ever since. Um, my journey has taken me to uh, mostly in Mexico and the United States, but also I did a stint in Rio de Janeiro just because the winters in New Jersey that year were really hard and I had a great opportunity. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years. And now I'm um, the head of a international school in Mexico City. It's one of it's considered one of the top schools in Mexico City. It's called the Eaton School. No connection to the Eaton School in Great Britain. Um, and it was recently purchased by 
a company called North Anglia Education, and they own 76 schools in 31 countries. And so the former director was also the owner. And so when she sold the school uh, to North Anglia, they brought me in as the head of school. So the school is 1,500 students, um, two-year-olds all the way up to 18-year-olds on three campuses. Holy moly. John, yeah. I just played this before we came live, but I'm so excited to chat with you because I feel so uneducated in so many of the spaces that you seemingly work in every single day. This is an avenue of education I know very little about, and I am so excited to dive into not only your beginning in Teach for America, which is also a program I don't know nearly as much as I should about, but also this, this opportunity you have now leading a school in Mexico City that uh, I'm confident is doing incredible things. We were just talking about uh, all the wonderful things you were doing even before we came live. So yeah. this is going to be some good conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show. Happy to. Happy to. Yeah. It's going to be so good. Don't forget, for those of you tuning in live with us, this, with us this morning, we appreciate your good morning messages. It's so good to be a part of the beginning of your day. While we will be having a lot of conversation, don't forget that this is an organic conversation with our families. So if there are any questions that come to you at any point in time during the show, throw them in the comments. We'll do our best to answer them. I know John has a lot of insight to share and has a very, very interesting story, as well as so many of our guests that join us. So feel free to participate live with us. Or if you're watching the show after the fact or listening to it after the fact uh, on Teach Better Talk podcast, you can always still participate. We like to monitor the feed to see if we can help any way we can. So good morning and good to see all of you. You know, John, I, I am confident that that we're going to get into so much dialogue. But before we get into any of the fun, tell us a little bit about what it's like to live in Mexico City. I've actually never been to Mexico City. I know you said you're still in central time zone. So you yep. and I are enjoying the 6 a.m. weather right now. But yeah. um, tell us a little bit about the city that you live in. Do you enjoy it? Mexico City is is one of the like the most underrated places in the world, I think. It is um, everyone who comes here. And well, there's a group of people that consider themselves like in the know and they've been here and they come here regularly. Um, and, um, but there's, it's a, it's, it's a little too small a number, you know, of people that actually have experienced the, 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 the wonder of this city. Um, so it's one of the largest cities in the world. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. It just, it's, it has swallowed up some of the cities around it. It's gotten so big. Um, it's sim it's a federal district um, similar to Washington, D.C. So it's sort of its own entity. And the person who runs the city is considered to be sort of the second most powerful person, sometimes the most powerful person in the country after the president. Because imagine like all of the I mean, there are other big cities, but imagine all of the sort of the resources being super hyper centralized. And that's Mexico City. But the art scene, the music scene, um, there are it's it's made up of a series of neighborhoods. So all of a sudden you'll just be in a neighborhood called La Condesa or La Roma. Roma actually became really well known because of the film Roma, um, which won an Oscar a few years back. Right. And that film sort of talked a, a little bit about the political. You know, I think it's not a bad film to sort of get a, a little bit of a sense of how these neighborhoods sort of operate and in a historical political context. Right. Um, but I mean, I think people know, you know, I mean, one of my favorite places is actually kind of uh, high on the tourist list, which is uh, Frida Kahlo's Blue House or Casa Azul. And it's where she lived and painted. And it's it's set up as sort of this sort of small museum to her life and uh, tribute to her. She's a consider. She's one of the few, I think, 
people that is as popular in Mexico as outside of Mexico, right? So sometimes people have this uh, misperception. They think that certain things that they think are culturally really important in Mexico aren't, and things that they, you know, think that they, you know, they are, aren't, right? Are, aren't, are. And so I think, you know, that she's one of those sort of beautiful exceptions who sort of a, appeals to a lot of different groups, both inside and outside of Mexico. And so going to her house, for instance, is just, is just amazing. Understanding the pre-Columbian cultures, right? So what happened, what was here before the Spanish arrived? Um, I think, you know, compared to the United States, um, I think in Mexico, there's a bit more of a celebration of those cultures and what they represent and how they impact um, today. There's still inequities between, you know, people that are more pure, uh, pre-Hispanic, if you will, you know, so these, cause these cultures still exist. You know, you can go to places in Mexico where um, lots of places where people don't speak Spanish or they speak it as a second language because they've learned it in school, but their culture, and there's 26 different bilingual programs in Mexico. Most people don't have any idea about that, right? Because people come to school speaking, you know, they're, they're in their communities in these small towns across Mexico, they still maintain a lot of those cultural traditions, including their language. When they go to, when they go to school, they're often, you know, at least in, in theory, right, they're learning Spanish so that they can enter the mainstream. But anyway, there's, I mean, I could, I could talk about Mexico forever and ever and ever. Um, it is, I always say it's not like a place that I live. It's sort, it's sort of a part of my being. It's part of who I am. So uh, I love Mexico City. And anybody has questions, please, please throw them out. Yeah, I do have to say, John, I, I love talking about Mexico City. You know, we are so fortunate for the Teach Better family to have family members, right? Teach Better family all over the world. But so much of my dialogue really has to do with educators in the U.S. Obviously, the majority of our um, our districts that we work with are in the U.S., but it's always so wonderful to hear about other places that I can add to my list to say, ooh, I can either go learn about education there or I could actually go there just to travel to enjoy my time to learn about a new culture. I love, I love, I love that work. Um, when it comes to you ending up there, though, you had a really fun story on why that was a city that you're back at now. And you said you were really enjoying it before we came live. So I'm thrilled that you were able at least to share a little bit of your passion in that specific city. Yeah. Yeah, so I, so I was looking for, I was studying international relations at Tufts University um, back in the late 80s. Um, and I was interested in studying internationally. Uh, and a lot of, at Tufts University has a large number of students that go abroad for their junior year. And most of them go to Europe. And I, not that I wasn't interested in Europe, but I was more interested in sort of politics and social and economic development uh, in, develop, in the developing world. And so I started looking for programs and I found a program in Mexico City. Um, and it allowed me to take courses with other foreigners. There were courses in Spanish. They weren't just language courses, history, art, um, architecture courses in Spanish with foreigners, but taught by prof uh, Mexican professors. So that was great. And then I ended up, uh, we were expected to take a, a couple of courses in one of the actual departments alongside Mexican students. So um, when I did that, um, I ended up in a class with the woman who I ended up, who I be, who became my wife um, back in 1993. So we've been together for almost 30 years. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I, uh, that was a great year. The first six months, actually, um, we didn't, we met each other about halfway through the year. And the first six months I traveled extensively every weekend, me and my, and my roommates who were also um, American, of Latino descent, both of them. So that was great because they had a little bit more uh, 
while I was still kind of figuring things out, they were sort of ahead. They kind of did the talking as it were um, in the beginning. And then uh, we traveled to probably 15 different states in Mexico across the six months. And every weekend we were gone and the bus, you know, traveling by bus in Mexico is actually phenomenal. Um, it's a, a lot of people think it's, you know, uh, I mean, it takes a while sometimes to get to places, but it's hard. Right. That's half the fun. Right. Um, and then we met and then I went my wife and this, uh, the, the woman who become my wife. And then we so we end up. So then I, had, I actually got to immerse, become immersed in a in a family. Right. Um, not knowing it would be it would become my family. Um, yeah. And so that was also phenomenal. That was also a great, great experience. Gotta love a good love story, guys. I yeah. love that stuff. So fun. Yeah, you know, John, I yesterday was Tuesday and we have um, I feel like my Tuesdays, I don't know about your daily schedule. My Tuesdays are just meetings after meetings after meetings. Like I can't I can't change it. When I look at my weeks, <laughs> every other day of the week is in schools and and getting to talk shop with educators and all this good stuff. And Tuesdays are just every meeting, hour, half an hour blocks. And I have to tell you, there was a lot of discussion yesterday, right or wrong, on the fact that it's been a really hard year. Um, both teachers and administrators are, are are really feeling the burnout. And I have to tell you, I think everyone just needs a good vacation to Mexico City. I think that might be the right answer. <laughs> but if we can do what? it, differently. yeah, I think we that's would, the right direction. No doubt. I mean, you know, I'll, I, we can. I can. I have folks that'll come pick you up at the airport, and uh, and, and and you know, I mean, believe me, I can make it really easy. Uh, can you come tour the school? Do you mind? Can we just come see it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're now following some pretty strict protocols on on visitors, mm -hmm. but you know, assuming you're vaccinated and you can show me a, you know, and you'll have just gotten off a plane, so you know, you we can we, can, we try to test folks before they come on campus. Um, you know, we we've got, as I said, we're actually preparing for full hundred percent return um, uh, in the beginning of November. Um, so a couple where, where we, we met yesterday, we're meeting again today, talking about meetings to going over all the logistics of how do you do that? Because, um, so we've got two preschool campuses that are, that are old houses that have been converted into schools and there are 200, um, students in each one. Um, those we've been, we had enough spaces to be able to accommodate all of our kids in sort of small bubbles so that they weren't mixing as much and trying to reduce the spread of COVID. And then in our main campus, which is where I'm located right this moment, we have from grades one through 12, and that's um, typically about 1,100 students. And so we've had about half of them kind of in different modalities. Elementary, we did one way. Middle and high school, we did another. Uh, and now we're preparing to bring everyone back. And so it, it has been difficult. You know, it's, you know, and whenever I get an opportunity to talk about anything other than uh, how to do that, um, I'm kind of excited. Um, work with kids or talk with teachers about ideas and projects. Um, so we can do either. I'm happy to talk about either. There we go. And for a simple moment, it's just nice to think about, oh, I could take a vacation. I could go see John in Mexico City. I could tour a new beautiful school. I could learn all about this culture and just forget about the stresses of all the things going on in the world. But I do have to tell you, there was a moment as I was hearing you kind of you know, share your, your background, your history, how much you love Mexico City, where you just kind of forget about the stress of COVID and you're like, oh, it sounds like a beautiful place. I can't wait to go. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I, I think it would be great for people to know, and maybe some people do, right? But I think it's, I come across people all the time in the US who've never really heard of international schools and understand mm -hmm. how they exist, why they exist, um, and how do you get involved with them? Um, but it is, but those people, and I think those people that know about it, sometimes they kind of keep quiet because they're like, 
we don't want too many people knowing about this because then it'll be harder and harder to get the jobs. Um, but it's, it's, a great, it's a great world. Um, and some people try it once and they say, great experience, I'm going home. Other people literally will not stop and they go around the world their entire career. Every three, five years, maybe they'll move to a different continent or a different country and then they'll build, a, they'll build a, a, you know, their resume that way. Um, and then maybe and other people, actually Canadians, interestingly enough, um, there's a group of Canadians because they get a nice pension pretty early. They retire from the Canadian system and then they travel and work internationally. And so they're, you know, it doesn't matter how much the money that they earn, it's more for just expenses and they're, they're banking their pension, uh, because with the lower cost of living in places like Mexico, um, you can do that. So anyway, that's, uh, if people are interested, I mean, we can certainly talk about that. Yeah. You know, I'd really love to, we're going to real quick friends, uh, transition here into some good news, some holidays. And then during our brainstorm bank, that's an intentional time where we ask our network, if they need anything, we take questions live. We'll get into our theme, but John, I would yep. love to dive into getting into some of the inner workings of how an international school functions, what the differences are. I know a lot of our network are very familiar in, you know, the public private charter magnet area, but a lot of educators may not know about um, that space for an international school. So we'll get into that real quick. Let's get into our good news story for the day. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Daily Drop-In. So thrilled that you are here joining us, even if you're joining us after the fact. But of course, if you're here live, don't forget to participate with us. John and I have been talking shop and we're already running behind. We apologize. It's Wednesday. We got good things coming your way. So we are going to continue to celebrate those really quick. We have some holidays we want to celebrate. And John, I don't know how I feel about holidays, but I feel as though everyone should try and find as many holidays to celebrate as possible every single day. So we have a long list. One is that today is World Information Overload Day. So put away <laughs> those devices except the one you're using to read this and listen to our information now. But um, celebrating information overload. Have you ever had a moment in the past, I don't know, two and a half years where maybe you felt like you were on information overload? Yeah, I think that that's uh, it's pretty much a place where we all a space where we all we're all pretty familiar with, I think. Yes, uh, just yeah. just a smidgen, just a smidgen. It's also <laughs> International Sloth Day. And who doesn't love a good, a good sloth? Um, National uh, Fruit Day. That will be interesting. So get ready to go get some fruit this morning. National Day of Writing. How good is that? Make sure you go celebrate that. That would be great to bring into the classroom. Um, support your local Chamber of Com Commerce Day. I love the Chamber of Commerce. Shout out to the one located in central Illinois in Bloomington Normal. They did a ton for my classroom. If you are not connected to your Chamber of Commerce and you're in the States, make sure you reach out to them for some good resources and information, even as an educator. And the last one is it's the Day of Unity, which is um, all in an effort to combat bullying. So lots of good holidays today, lots of opportunities to bring those little celebrations not only into your school, but also into your classroom. For our good news today, John, I found a little bit of a goofy article that I think would be really fun to bring into our classrooms. And it's about a little boy. So this is about a boy who um, 
has passing motorists by his house very frequently. And so he is standing at the end of his driveway and holding up happy signs, which seems like such a silly act of kindness. So in, a Massachusetts boy was happy to um, be able to start his mornings every single morning with happy signs to cheer on passing motorists. There's a little video that where he is interviewed and he's talking about how he likes to do this before the school day starts. He says the bus picks him up at the end of his driveway. And while he's waiting for the bus, as people kind of go by, he has these big posters that have um, just very nice sayings, something along the lines of like, have a good day or make sure you put a smile on your face or, you know, I hope this is the best day you've had all week. And so the um, today.com interviewed him to celebrate that he is just spreading a little bit of kindness in his day and obviously is looking for others to join the effort. So John, how would you feel, you know, driving to work and to see a lovely sign students hang, you know, holding them up? I think it'd be a good opportunity. No doubt. You know, I mean, it really doesn't take a lot, right? I, I'm a big believer in um, slowing down and noticing some of those smaller things that people do um, and that we can do for people that don't require you know, committees and meetings and all of that, right? It's just a matter of getting out of my office and walking around the campus and, and, and striking up conversations with people. I mean, with my students, with my teachers, I look for different ways to move from point A to point B. I take the, I always try to leave a few minutes earlier if I have to go some, if I have to meet someone somewhere on campus and I'll take a slower route. Um, and it's, it's just great because you never know who, you know, if you, you, when we walk through schools, we sometimes always go the same way. And just taking a longer circuitous route um, can bring some great surprises and some of those small moments that you talk about. Well, and I like those two perspectives, you know, on the Teach Better team, we're, we're constantly trying to provide really tactical, strategic opportunities for us to make a little bit of a different change that is, mm -hmm. you know, easy to chew on, but really gets us towards, you know, our growth goals, right? Like a little bit better every single day. And yeah. I like your your narrative. It's not only about maybe being the person holding the sign, but making your, your intentional moments in your day where you can see the sign, right? Yeah. Taking the time to really decide, okay, I'm going to go a different route today to see something wonderful versus just doing the same thing every single day. You kind of get in that tunnel vision. Um, that's a wonderful challenge for everybody in our network to not only be somebody who maybe can hold a sign to celebrate others, but make sure that you're staying open-minded enough to consume it, right? Yeah, it's a mindset, right? It's a mindset that recognizes that, that, um, that first of all, change is usually, as you said, is incremental, it's small, right? And so if you're looking for the one thing that's gonna change your world, you, you, know, you may not find it, but if you're looking for small things that, you know, signs, if you will, I mean, you know, it depends on how, how your, what your belief system is, right? But, you know, if you pay attention if you slow down and you just notice, notice kids that don't seem to be noticed, right? Notice teachers that seem to be having a bad day. If you're, if you're moving too quickly, right, those things will just become less, they're not as clear. Um, you know, I, I, whenever you have an interaction with somebody, right, you don't know, you know, it's every, you, know, you don't know what they're going through at that moment, right? And so that just a smile that uh, just a, how are you, but not a, how are you and keep moving or how are you? And then wait for an answer, right? That can, that can make a big difference and not just for the person, but also for you, because you get a sense of, um, you know, there's an empathy, there's a, there's a humanity that some, even though we're in a business, you know, or, uh, you know, where it's all about relationships and building those bridges, 
sometimes, again, the speed at which we think we need to move um, is more self-imposed than it actually is, um, you know, mandated, if, you, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was in a conversation yesterday with somebody, uh, an administrator who was really struggling with the feeling bogged down by all the stress. And I think a very typical answer that you would provide to an administrator who's feeling the weight of everything going on in the world right now is don't forget, get out, go interact with kids. And their reflection in our conversation was, I am interacting with kids. It's just not the type of interactions I want. And there was this little challenge that it's funny, this dialogue is kind of making me think of that we that we had for them. And it sounds silly saying it out loud, but we were discussing like what makes you laugh quickly, right? What's like a really easy, how can I get a laugh? And we were talking about really bad dad jokes. Do you have any really bad dad jokes that you can refer to? Like the, the reason we brought this up though, is we were challenging them. Think of a really terrible dad joke, like find a goofy one, one that you roll your eyes to and go tell five students today. Like if, yeah. if you do nothing else today, find a way to take that joke and give it to five students today. And, you know, like, I, you know, I wonder if that would kind of break up the day. And it's kind of like this, where it's like, do something a little wacky, a little out of your comfort zone on the avenue of all the, the daily schedule that you're on and yeah. get a good smile out of it, right? Whether it's a dad joke or a sign or anything else. Yeah, you know, and I also think that there's um, one of the things that I've found is that, you know, sometimes you just you come you work with people that you have a you just sort of develop a really natural kind of rapport, you know, a back and forth. And so I worked for a long time in uh, in New Jersey at, at a, as a middle school principal at Rutgers Preparatory School, which is outside of uh, New Brunswick. And um, it was actually my alma mater. Um, so I went there for middle and high school and I went back 20 years, kind of welcome back Cotter for those of you that are old enough, uh, and, you know, returned as the principal and worked alongside some of my old teachers. Um, so always warn people, be careful. You know, you may, you never know one of your students may come back and be your boss on day. Um, but anyway, so my assistant principal had been my wrestling coach, if you believe, if you can believe it. And, uh, he's now the principal after I left, he, he took over as principal, but he and I, just from day one, because I think because we had a little bit of history, right? Um, and we were just able to walk down the halls and just hang and just watch as students would come in and we would just have this kind of banter back and forth. And it wasn't as formal as dad jokes, as you suggest, but I, which is good. But it was just more of like, OK, let's how do we start kids day with just a little fun? You know, where we're able to laugh at ourselves, we're able to, you know, joke about, you know, uh, uh, you know, something that happened in, in, in sports or, you know, things that the kids would care about. And it was just it was just a great way to start the day. And we did that every day. Oh, I love that stuff. You know, I, I love a good dad joke. I just feel like any jokes that I can put into my day is a good sign. And banter is important. Being able to work with people that you can kind of like goof off with every so often. I think that's kind of the beauty of surrounding yourself with the right people. You need people that can challenge you, that can collaborate with you, that can do all these things. And then for me also on that list is a little bit of like banter, right? You got to be able to like go back and forth and goof off a little bit, which I will tell you, nobody on the Teach Better team knows anything about because we are very serious here on our morning show. There is no no goofing off here. So I know in the comments, our our network would agree with us that we are very serious and streamlined over here. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, actually, um, I would love to continue this conversation as we transition here a bit because you were starting to share about 
I know so many different roles that you've been able to have. I'd love to continue our conversation, if you don't mind, on yep. the international school discussion, kind of the role that you have specifically, and then also some of the, the questions that our network might have. So we'll be right back. We're going to head into Brainstorm Bank for the morning and make sure that you um, have your coffee close by because we're only 20, 28 minutes in and we got more to talk about. So we'll be right back. All right, friends, you know how this works. This is our intentional time every single morning where we are live on the daily drop-in streaming on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. We kind of pause, we sit back, we're thinking through and secretly giggling at some dad jokes, and we're asking you, hey, do you need anything? This is a time where we can dive into our weekly theme that we have every single week or time that we can discuss any topic that's on your mind. We want to make sure that never, ever, ever throughout your day do you feel alone or like you are living on an island. This is a time where if something comes up that you want to collaborate on with related to a student or, or curriculum or a leadership concern or a colleague concern, we're here to be your brainstorm partners. John and I are not promising that we have the answer, but we absolutely can help you get towards a solution, a potential solution for sure, or maybe connect you with somebody way smarter than us. So as we get started... Um, Kind of a, a topic that I know we've discussed earlier that I would love to go back to, John, is the concept of an international school. And if yeah. you don't mind, I'd love to have this conversation really assuming that everybody here may not have a background and even knowing what that is. So can you yeah. give us the, the bare bone basics? Like what is an international school besides that it sounds very fancy? Yeah, it sounds a lot fancier than maybe it is. Um, maybe not. Um, so I think, you know, so I guess the best way to explain it is that there are, um, you know, multinational companies and U.S. military bases around the world, right? The, you know, so a company, Coca-Cola, you know, uh, Amazon, whatever, has offices all around the world. And they hire local people, but they also bring um, management folks, mid-level management folks, higher uh, level corporate folks, and they send them around the world. And they may go for a couple of years, uh, you know, um, to uh, to Japan. They may go to South Africa. They may go. They can go in any. They can go anywhere around the world. And so these schools were started largely initially. They were funded by um, the U.S. government. Actually, the, so the State Department, um, which kind of handles the embassies around the world, started to. They created something called the Office of Overseas Schools. And the Office of Overseas Schools continues today to provide support for uh, international schools. So they may they may provide professional development conferences. They may provide security, um, you know, uh, money monies for to increase security on your campus. There's a variety of things that they do. So here in Mexico City, actually, by you know, is it's um, the the first, the oldest international school, at least as far as I know, exists right here. It's called the American School of Mexico. That's not the school that I work at, but it is a very large school of over 2,000 students. Now. That, and that school was started back in the 1880s, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, it makes sense because the largest embassy uh, mm -hmm. in the world is in Mexico City. There are 500 employees. There are 52 government agencies that actually have representatives that work out of Mexico City because of the complexity and the depth of the relationship between the two countries. So mm -hmm. State Department officials, so there's about 200 of, the, of those 500 that probably, you know, if not more, that live in Mexico City temporarily. They're here for a couple of years. And so their kids need a school to go to. 
that allows them that ability to kind of go back and forth. So that's sort of the underlying um, reason for being is to allow students who are traveling around the world to be able to have a similar type of education. So I, I don't want to interrupt you, no. but a silly like clarification. So um, I let's pretend go to Mexico city and my family comes with me, yep. my children who might be in like second grade getting an education in Chicago would, could then go to this international school in Mexico city and essentially get a similar American more or less education in Mexico city is kind of, and then when my job is done, I could move back and the, the learning loss essentially is, is hopefully in some regards still intact. Is that the mindset? That's exactly right. And so, you know, the, so you would, when you look at international schools, cause not all international, they can, they can actually call themselves American school or international school. You have to look a little deeper, <clears throat> excuse me, and make sure that they're U S accredited. So we're accredited by Cognia. So, which used to be advanced ed, which used to be SACS. So the international schools, the, the more solid international schools, I'll say, maybe that's not entirely fair, but the ones that have been around for a bit who are really committed to making sure that that's, that, that what you described as possible um, are the ones you probably want to start with. And they will actually, so you as a teacher, if you have, let's say you're on a, you know, a salary schedule, right? And you've got 10 years of experience. If you come to a U.S. accredited school for a couple of years and then go back, you actually get credits for those years, even though you're outside of the country. And that's very attractive to, to many people. Now, uh, go ahead. No, please go ahead. I was going to say is that the other important part to understand is, though, that these schools are not full of expats. They're not just full of American kids. So a lot of schools, and depending on the country, China is very different than the Middle East, which is very different than Latin America. The, the, the demographics vary considerably. So um, at our school, we've got about 75% uh, of our students are Mexican nationals who usually come from professional classes. We're one of the more, you know, one of the more expensive schools in the city. So if your company's not paying for it, if the state department's not paying tuition, which they typically do for the family members, for the dependents of their employees, um, then, 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 so we've got those 75%, which are host country nationals, what we call, um, and they're going to be here for the duration, right? They may be here for 15 years, whereas we have a population of about 25% in our case, in some schools, it's as much as 50 or 60%, which are international students that just come for a couple of years, two or three years while the, while their families are in, in country. Um, in our case, a lot of our expat families are actually dual, dual, uh, passport holders. So maybe one parent is Mexican and one parent is uh, Colombian or one parent is Chilean and one parent is Argentinian. We have a lot of Latin American um, uh, families who come to us for a couple of years and sometimes they, they love it so much they just stay, right? That's possible. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I know there's a lot to this, but, but as a teacher's perspective, I actually looked at moving and working in an international school very early in my career uh, I don't know. I'm sure my career would look very differently if I chose to do that. But it was really attractive because the the education that I was getting in the States to become a teacher, right, was actually going to be a very similar, and I say similar in terms of content, not similar mm -hmm. in terms of experience, but similar experience if I moved to an international school to teach because essentially if it's a U.S. accredited building, as a teacher, there was going to be a lot of similarities in the work that I was, or the content that I was teaching. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it, you really have to kind of go again, a little, look a little deeper. So our school, for instance, is incorporated or authorized by the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Education. And this is a big kind of uh, shift in thinking for people who are used to, in the United States where private schools typically 
do not have a lot of accountability to the local education authority. They focus on the public schools. Whereas in Mexico and in Brazil, where I was as well, similar, it was similar where the Ministry of Education says, okay, if you're going to be authorized by us and you need, you sort of need to be, unless you're really, uh, well, you really sort of need to be authorized by that ministry because then the families get a certificate at the end of your preschool, at the end of elementary, at the end of middle school, that, that they can move to the next level. Um, if you get that, then you're accountable to them. And so we also, we have to, we kind of dance a little dance you know, where we have to uh, make sure that we're meeting those local requirements as well and obviously exceeding them, right? Because we're, we're offering more. So it's, 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 it's a really, um, so you have to just look at that. You have to look at the demographics and you have to look at what the curriculum actually is. So in our high school, we're an IB school for middle and high school. Um, I saw somebody in the comments had put that they had worked at an IB school in the United States. And IB, for those of you that don't know, is International Baccalaureate and they work, operate around the world to similar to an AP um, at the high school level, uh, where you can get college credits or you can get sort of exposed to a college curriculum before you actually reach college. Um, and so that's also another kind of external authorization, you know, and there are a lot of different ways that you can get that sort of credibility in the international world. And I think it's just, it's helpful to know that those things, that, the, that there are those ways of, the, of separating schools that are Local schools, nothing wrong with that, but they may not be as, 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 uh, as, as accustomed to welcoming international teachers. So that's, a, I'd say, a really important piece of advice. Well, and this is a whole different world. I just think it's so interesting to discuss this as it's not typically a conversation we get to have on the team. So I appreciate you sharing all of this. With the work that, that we've discussed, what is your day-to-day? -day, what's your role in all of this? Because to me, you know, this this week is really all about branding yourself. That's been our theme this week as a classroom teacher, as a building principal, as a district leader. And I find it so interesting because you truly are, and there's no question, in education. But with the work that you, I'm confident, do day to day, there is an element where you are constantly reflecting on how is my school being perceived by the community? How is my school being perceived by our parents, our stakeholders, by our students? How can we continue to have that positive narrative? So we'll eventually get to that discussion. But your day-to-day -day role, I'm sure, must change day-to-day. -day. I mean, what's your what's your title like? Yeah. So as the head of school, I you know I work with a with a group of principals. There's actually five principals. We have an academic director that focuses. She's actually one of the former um, uh, owners of the school and one of the founders, and she's still here. And she's a, a remarkable educator. Um, who uh, applies the Reggio Emilia principles, Reggio Emilio principles um, uh, of learning. And, um, and that makes our school really, really special. And I think it's one of the things that parents really appreciate about the school is it's a progressive uh, international school that is focused on student voice right from the beginning, right from the earliest ages. So um, my day-to-day, -day, um, you know, is a deal, I'm dealing with, you know, the, the operationals. So I have, um, you know, my finance director and I meet two or three times a week. My, you know, I'm working with operations, just our operations director, um, has almost 150 people that work for her, um, between gardeners, um, maintenance people, cleaning people, security people, cafeteria people, you know, so it's, it's a, there's a whole world of operations that make the school run. Um, you know, and, and we contract out bus service, we contract out a few other, you know, uh, uh, third part to third, third parties. Um, and so 
Part of my job though this year is really as a new head of school in a school that was recently acquired by this company, Nordanglia, it's really important for me to be working side by side with, with all stakeholders to make sure that they understand the, that the essence of the school doesn't change just because the school was sold. The, the, the Nordanglia believes very firmly in buying very strong schools around the world um, and, making, and trying to give them the opportunity to become even stronger. And that's sort of my goal is to work in helping integrate those these best practices that have been um, uh, developed around the world to this community without losing the essence. If you look at the website of Nordanglia Education, you'll see that there are British schools, there are Chinese schools, there's a variety of types of American schools. There are a very variety of different types of schools. To be a Nordanglia school doesn't mean one thing. It means several things. Um, and so my job is really to kind of at this point is to really get out into the classrooms and into the community so that people get to know who I am and that they then they see that I'm interested um, primarily in in learning in my first year, right? Um, asking lots of questions of students, of parents, of teachers. What does it mean to be a, a student or a member of this community? You know, John, I feel like I need to, you know, write you a check after this because you're doing so wonderfully, like leading into the theme this week. And we didn't plan this. So I am so appreciative of you. But, you know, you're talking about the fact that you are in charge of so many different things. I love that your focus this year is on listening, getting to know your community. This is a brand, quote unquote, that we're like we're talking about this week that you're building. When you interact with people, you want them to feel a certain way. You want to make sure that you're your messaging, your communication is is heard and, and understood in a very specific way. And then your hope in that is to build unity, understanding, and trust, yep. which is a huge element of our discussion this week that we can do at a classroom level, at a building level, at a district level, and everything in between. So would you mind sharing, and I know it might be a strange question, but like how you do that? How are you ensuring that your interaction with people is coming across as authentic and you're communicating kind of the messaging that you want them to be able to hear from you. Yeah. I mean, I think listening, right. Requires that you kind of have an idea in your head of sort of what you hope to find out what you want to learn, but it's also being nimble enough and flexible enough to be able to move with the conversation move with the person you're listening to. Right. If I come in with a series of like set questions that I need to answer, you know, I may miss something, as I said, as we talked about earlier, you miss some of those small moments where somebody gives you a, a real interesting window. And, um, you know, I, I find myself um, in schools attracted to um, the departments, the, to the counseling departments and the fine arts departments. Right. So those folks, because I don't know, it's I guess my creative side. I think that the fine arts people and I love the fact that students will um, open up to those arts teachers. I don't know if that happens everywhere, but a lot of the places I've been in, it's like the kids sort of relax. They're painting, they're drawing, they're molding, whatever they're doing. And they're having these conversations because it typically is more independent work. And I mean, I'm not saying that regular classroom teachers don't do that, they do, but the, but the mindset of going in and creating, I think opens up. And so listening in in an art room can be fascinating and talking to your art teachers, they sometimes are actually kind of, you know, hidden counselors as well. Like if you really want to know what's happening, 
go talk to your arts teachers. They, they may not come to you if you don't ask the question, but they know everything. And then the counselors whose job it is, right? And they, they are also tremendously um, important, not so much to go into the details of, how, of a certain student, although sometimes obviously I need to know that as the head of school if, there, if there's a significant threat. But more often than not, it's more about getting taking the pulse. And that's one of the challenges. This is actually the largest school I've ever run. I've run a school of 500 students. I've run a school of 1,000. And now this is 1,500. And so it's very, it, you know, your question, it's very difficult sometimes. So you have to just understand, you have to sort of accept the fact that you can't get into the the depth of a relationship with teachers and students and parents because there's just too much to do. So you have to kind of play along, you kind of have to skate on the surface, but then you have to choose strategically um, where to, where to do, dig a, deep, a bit deeper so that you get a better understanding, right? Um, and you try to make it as, as varied as possible so that it, and, you, and the other thing I always tell people is don't just open the door, you have to knock on doors. So the people that come and knock on your door are clearly you need to open that door and listen to them, but don't just expect, don't assume that that's a representative sample, right? Because there are some really beautiful, special people that don't, that would never knock on your door. So you've got to go looking for them. You've got to, and that's why we talked about before about sort of opening up and, and running into people in the hallways is sometimes the best thing you can do. And some of those conversations can be, uh, they're equally as rewarding and important. Oh, that's a really good one. That will be that will be a phrase that I not only go back and listen to your description of now, but also utilize. That is that is a powerful mindset to carry. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, John, there's so many different things going on in the world. There's so many different pieces of your role that are ever changing. And, you know, I, I appreciate that you're able to join us this morning to talk shop a little bit on the work that you're doing. If there was one challenge, one takeaway that you wanted to encourage all of our, our viewers, our Teach Better family to consider, uh, what would that be this week? You know, it's Wednesday, it's October 20th. It's, you know, I, obviously we're all, you know, just trying to do the best we can for students. What do you think is is kind of the mindset or the challenge you want to leave us with? You know, I, I feel like there the, it becomes, um, you know, really cliche, but, you know, taking some time to really understand your own needs, you know? Um, and, you know, when I, back in the day, when I started, so as I said, I, I did Teach for America. I was a recruiter for Teach for America. And then I was actually a regional director in the Bay Area with some wonderful teachers. And the, the, they, would, they would come to our regional office. We knew, we figured out the, the key was having a photocopier because a lot of the schools, the photocopying was so challenging and limited. So we just had a, a, a relatively min, small photocopier, but enough to bring people in. And it was our way of being able to kind of take the pulse, right? And figure out how people were doing. Uh, and so I guess, you know, I would always ask those teachers, I'd say, so tell me about what you did last weekend, you know, and you want to, you know, and when teachers, you young new teachers oftentimes think that they have to devote all of their free time to the classroom, to getting ready, to grading, to doing all that, which obviously you need to spend time doing that, but you also have to spend time being a person that your students will look up to. I said, you know, I always, I always joke with people. I'm like, if a teach if you if a kid tells you if you tell a kid that you spent all weekend lesson planning you're just you know then the rest of it is going to be charlie brown's teacher right like you need to you know if you do some really cool thing on the weekend you should totally talk about that you know you and make connections with kids 
it's good for you, obviously for your own health, but also it's really important for kids to see you as a person who doesn't just teach, right? Who does other things, who has a life. Um, and so I think that that would be my, you know, my, my challenge to people is to really spend some time. And if you don't already know, like what, you know, try some new things, you know, uh, on the weekend, try to just disconnect, you know, um, even if it is just, and I'm, and I'm a big believer in the other thing I'll say is I'm a big believer in, um, really trying to, to enjoy the moment. So if I've decided I'm going to go to the park and just chill for a few hours, like that's what I'm going to do. And every time that, that feeling of guilt walks, you know, kind of approaches, I push it out. And I say, you know what, I made a decision to spend a few hours in the park. So I'm going to enjoy the park. I'm going to pay attention to the dogs. I'm going to be paying attention to the people. I'm going to be, you know, reading my book. I'm whatever it is that I'm doing, um, be fully present in that moment. If it's family time, similarly, you know, put the phone away, really enjoy your kids. You know, my two boys are now in their twenties. And uh, when they were young, I didn't always follow my own advice. Right. And, and I missed, I missed things. I was present in a lot of things because I was working at the school where they were attending, but I was also distracted by all of the things that had to, that I had to do as a leader in those schools. So really being intentional, being present and understanding your, your own, um, the things that you need to fill your cup as it, as it were. I think that's really important because otherwise you won't be able to provide the love. It's not, it's not only for your own, if you want to be a better teacher, I guess, or a better educator, you just need to realize that it's, you're not a robot. You need to actually reflect and be a better person in order to be a better teacher, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're bitter, if you're overworked, if you're overwhelmed, then you're miss, you're not going to be able to react to the, to the, to the inputs, right. To the students mm -hmm. questions. When you go into classroom, super tired, right. And the kids start talking and you lose your cool or you, you, you become irritable. You're clearly not at your best. You're a best you're at your best means that you're able to respond to in the moment to the, to what kids are saying, what they're asking, what they're, what they, what you're seeing. And the only way to do that is to be at your best. Mm. I think this is perfect advice for, you know, world overload day, information overload day. Indeed. I love this. I really come in full circle. It's like, it's like you should, I think you should host the show with me every morning. <laughs> I think we can make this work. <laughs> really quick. Thank you for those of you who are joining us. We are going to conclude our show with um, some recommendations. We love super fast. And then John, if you don't mind, I am going to have you share just some ways that people can stay connected and uh, connect with you in the future. Cause I know that there's going to be a, a lot of continued questions about the work you do, some collaboration opportunities, everything in between. So we'll be right back here in just a second. All right, everyone, we're going to get started with our recommendations. We love and I'm going to try a new tech thing. So if this doesn't work, I apologize in advance. John, I'm going to try and share my screen to our Teach Better Academy. Perfect. It's right there. The reason I'm sharing this for you, friends, if you are joining us live and can visually see the screen versus the Teach Better Talk, if you are listening there, then you'll just have to try and imagine it. But I'm sharing my screen for the Teach Better Academy. If you are not a part of our Teach Better Academy, please consider joining, not necessarily even as a member, although we'd love to have you as a member of the Academy, but more so there are a ton of free courses here the one course that I want to make sure I point out this morning that might be a good resource for any of you who might be interested in exploring how you can 
kind of develop your brand, as we've talked about, is a course there at the, at the side that says using social media to grow your network. That is a course that we have in our academy that is dedicated to helping you figure out what message you want to share specifically on social media and how you can kind of begin those begin those steps to developing um, communication to whatever audience you're striving to communicate with, whether it be other educators or students or anything in between. So that's a great resource. Do not forget also the celebration of a brand new course that is releasing in our academy today that is focused on getting you um, some support in incorporating student voice in parent-teacher conferences. So the academy has new courses, free and full workshops um, every 30 to 40 days. Um, shout out to Andrea on the Teach Better team who makes all the magic happen. So we appreciate the work that she does every single month to make sure that we have something wonderful to share with all of you. We just want to make sure you guys know it was there. John, I would love to have you, and I appreciate you adding your Twitter handle there. I'd love to have you share how people can stay connected to the work that you're doing. Yeah, so Twitter is great is a great way. Um, uh, I'm really focused on. I, I find that the the Twitter chats that happen, um, you know, uh, regularly scheduled, um, are just a great way to kind of take a step back um, and reflect and synthesize. Um, I tend to over explain things sometimes. And so it's good to have that limit of characters. Um, I found that to be really, really helpful as a communication strategy. Um, the things that I try to, you know, sort of, and, and just voicing some of the thoughts that you have and getting immediate feedback um, in a forum like a Twitter chat, I think is a phenomenal way. So you'll find me at, uh, on some Twitter chats for sure. Um, I am also pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, it's harder to find me there just because of my name. Um, but if you, uh, but if you look for the Eaton school, um, and John Miller, you probably will come across, come across or just send me a, a direct message on, um, uh, on Twitter and I'll, and I'll definitely be able to connect you with my page on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So those are sort of the best ways to get in touch with me. Perfect. I really appreciate it. John, this has been such a good conversation. Honestly, I feel like we could have gone another hour because I have so many other questions for you. But I just appreciate that you were able to bring such a different perspective of education with the different journey that you've had than at least myself. I'm, I'm confident uh, that your story will resonate with so many members of our family. But also just to celebrate the work that you are doing with students day in, day out, every single day. I just appreciate you being able to wake up early, join us on the show. And I know you have a long day ahead of you. So thank you for committing the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Oh, for everybody else, please go make sure you connect with John. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I have been connected to John for a long time. And I was so, so, so excited to interview him because um, I have been connected and consuming his content in a virtual medium for so long. So please go connect with amazing work that him and his staff are doing. Please enjoy your last sip of coffee as you head into the most incredible Wednesday that you have had so far. It is Wednesday, October 20th, and it's going to be a wonderful day. Please let us know if we can do anything to make it a little bit better. And we will see you again tomorrow morning on October 21st because we are going to continue this conversation all week long. So we'll see you bright and early. Don't forget to tune in for daily, um, not only our daily drop-in every day, but also brain break later this afternoon. And there will be a very secret live happening later tonight with Dave and Katie Miglin to dive into a little bit more of the inner workings of the brand new course in the Academy. So make sure to catch that as well. We're going to be live a lot today, apparently. John, that's three times in one day. It's going to be teach better team overload. Let me tell you. <laughs> there you go. There you All go. Right. 
I know. Oh, we'll see you later, friends.